0: This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 10, and all of chapter 62. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels." For as the soil makes the young plant come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hespelah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so, you, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on the walls, Jerusalem. They will never be be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies." And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth say to the take the door to Zion see your saviour comes see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him they will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted this is the word of the Lord Thanks Roger. Very good
1: to see you all this morning. It is a little bit warm in here but uh, the windows are open so hopefully there'll be a bit of a breeze coming through. Um, well this week the, uh, the Queen and Prince Philip visited Berlin in case you hadn't uh, spotted on the news and she was welcomed with uh, a guard of honour, 21 gun salute and the roar of fighter jets overhead. The um, German public have surprisingly come out in their rows to, uh, to welcome her and uh, she even had a a robot also welcoming her, which is quite quite interesting. Um, when a group of us visited Ethiopia a couple of months back, we also received an amazing welcome when we went to visit the Compassion Project. Um, as you see here, <coughs> here, we got a bunch of flowers from uh, our sponsor children. We went to their homes and we were welcomed in. And um, we were treated uh, like royalty. They gave us a dance and a song um, Uh, And it was clear that um, for them, there was a real delight in meeting us. To us, it didn't feel like we'd really done an awful lot for them. Um, But for them to be a part of the project, to receive letters, and actually to have a visit was an amazing privilege. Uh, For us, it was very humbling. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series in Isaiah. Well, as he told us uh, last week, how as the, uh, the people of God we should arise and shine... How we should reflect God's glory to the world and he explained uh, as we see there how um, chapters 59 and and 63 are focused on the mighty warrior but between them, sandwiched between them come these uh, three chapters focusing on the privilege of being God's people and how we live as God's transformed people. Well this morning we're looking at the end of chapter 61 as Roger's read for us and into chapter 62 and it's a passage of great delight, it's a passage of rejoicing as we consider the privilege of being God's people. And the first thing we see is Isaiah, as a spokesman for his people, rejoicing in God because of all that he has done for him. And that's the first thing I want us to think of this morning, rejoice in God because of what he has done for you. It's a great passage, isn't it? It's a passage of poetry, um, you have all these couplets where a statement is made and it's reinforced by another one which sort of says the same thing but in a different way really to, to highlight that to emphasize it we have great vivid images here and metaphors uh, trying to convey what he has to say with greater, greater force for those opening two verses in verse 10 of chapter 61 really sum up what follows I delight greatly In the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God. To delight, to rejoice, they're quite similar in meaning. And one, the pleasure is in the Lord, the covenant Lord, and the other, the Almighty God. It's also His God, it's my God, it says. But notice there's a rejoicing that comes from deep within, comes from His soul. My soul rejoices. What does it mean to delight, to rejoice in the Lord in that deep way? Well, it means that he's found peace and inner peace. He's found fulfillment in God. And that comes from knowing the love that the Lord has for him. The the Lord has saved him. He's made him righteous. Those terms can be quite abstract. And so he uses um, images that will mean something to, to his audience to convey the depth of that, that love. And the first image is of clothing. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is God taking someone who's quite ordinary and making them beautiful, making them special. I have to confess, the other night I was just flicking on very briefly on the TV, and um, Don't Tell the Bride came up. Um, I don't watch that normally, and the, but it was just um, a little excerpt which is quite fascinating, of um, this, uh, this bridegroom going into a shop with his best man, and um, he was trying to find a, a dress for his bride. And... Um, the groomer decided, well, she was only going to wear it once, and um, it's probably not worth spending an awful lot of money on a dress. Um, now, fortunately, the best man was a bit more sensible, and um, um, he took him aside and had a little, had a little word with him. Now, it's a shame I've got the video, but this is what he said. Um, I won't try and reproduce the accent, but... He's going, I just think you're miles off the mark here, man. I mean, you get married once in a lifetime. All brides, they go for their dress fitting at a special moment when they're, they're made to feel one in a million. But instead, she parks up outside in a parking display and walks with her mates into a high street shop um, with a bunch of grannies walking around in there, man. That is not every girl's dream. <laughs> Apologies to any grandmothers here, um, but uh, you, get, you get the idea. He's missed it. He's misunderstood what it's all about. Now, at one level, of course, the groom is right. It's, it's, it's just one day. It's just a dress. Um, but it symbolizes a whole lot more. It symbolizes just how much you love and delight in your bride, how much you want her to feel special, how much you're showing her that she is special. Her body's listening carefully here this morning. Um, but what is the Lord's clothing and arraying, symbolizing. Because it's not just about the physical appearance, is it? It's saying that despite all their failings, his people are beautiful to him. We as God's people are beautiful to him despite all our, our failings. Some of you may know um, Jackie Pullinger who went to uh, Hong Kong at the age of 22 back in uh, Uh, the late 60s, she went to work with drug addicts and prostitutes and wrote the book um, Chasing the Dragon. Uh, It tells us some of the amazing stories of her her life in Hong Kong, but she tells one story of a 72-year-old woman called Alfreda, uh, who'd been a heroin addict for for 60 years, she'd been involved in prostitution for for many years, but she was now too old to work and so she just sat outside this brothel and poked the sewers with with a stick to keep them moving. Um, She's still injecting herself uh, three times a day with heroin. But she gave her life to Christ. And um, she received forgiveness. And she began to change. And she went to live in one of Jackie Pullinger's homes. And uh, to begin with, obviously she was quite difficult. But Then God started to, to heal her, to do a work of change in her. And she saw there were other people actually who were much worse off than she was. And she began to try and help them. And then apparently she met a a man called Little Wa who was aged 75 and they got married. And uh, Jackie described um, this wedding as the wedding of the decade because this former prostitute, heroin addict, walked down the aisle in white, cleansed, forgiven and transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation He has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. The second image is that of growth. Look how it continues. Uh, For as the soil makes the young plants come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Now one of the greatest ways of showing love to someone is enabling them to fulfill their potential, helping them to grow into maturity, um, particularly when they don't realize themselves what they are capable of, when you know, they, don't, they think that being a seed is all they will ever be. To show them, actually, they can become a beautiful plant. They can become a great tree if we are feeling worthless, if we're feeling hopeless God is saying I will change you I will give you worth and hope, I will help you grow we don't need to despair, that we will never be good enough Um, we'll never be good enough as somebody else God can make us righteous he can make us holy and the way that will happen will be through his son, the anointed one the righteous one. The one we read about um, last week at the beginning of uh, chapter 61. It'd be good just to turn back to those lovely verses at the beginning of chapter 61 because this is the one who will make us righteous. The spirit, first 1 of chapter 61, of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. As we discussed in home groups on Thursday evening, God's people won't remain little acorns. They will be oaks of righteousness that the Lord has planted, the Lord has caused to grow little acorns as you probably know is the name of a lot of nursery schools up and down the country and presumably hoping that those little children will grow into oaks one day but I wonder what their idea of an oak is because here the greatest oaks we can be are oaks of righteousness oaks that display God's glory rejoice in God because what he has done for you But also rejoice in God, because what he has done for you will be made known. As we go into chapter 62, what we see here is a desire for the change in the status of God's people, their privileged position, their salvation, their vindication, not to be kept under wraps, but for that to be made known, to be proclaimed. Verse 1 says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. This is something too important to to keep stum about. This is something that needs to be reported on the 10 o'clock news, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever um, is available to make it known. I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch not just a small little uh, tea light, but like a blazing torch, a blinding light. And what it appears that Isaiah is saying here becomes a promise from God. These are the words of God. He's saying the nations will see your vindication. The kings will see your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. The Bible names had much greater significance than they often do today when parents choose them. Um, uh, And when God wanted to show that um, somebody's, uh, uh, maybe his mission had changed, or he blessed them in a new way, he would give them a new name. So Abraham, which means exalted father, became Abraham, father of many nations. Jacob, which means supplanter, became Israel, which means prevails with God after he wrestled with God. Simon, which means God has heard, became Peter, the rock, the rock on which Jesus would build his church. Well, here we're told in verse 4, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which if you look at the notes means my delight is in her and your land, Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you. Your land will be married. Remember the different levels of prophecy in Isaiah. We've got a graph um, coming up, which Mark uh, showed us early on in this um, series. Um, I think it's coming up. Yes, that's the one. Um, I hope it's becoming familiar to you by now. Um, Isaiah's telling the people of God that They will be taken into captivity, Um, but although it will appear that God has deserted them then, he will bring them out of exile. That land that that will have been desolate will be made beautiful again. It will flourish again. That will be in the uh, the 6th century BC. You will be, it says here, in that day a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. In the same way that a a crown has great value, so too will the people of God be be seen to be valued and treasured by their God. Other people will see that that is how he treasures them. He will take delight in you. But where do we fit in that today? Um, because let's face it, people don't really look at us, if we are Christians here this morning, and say, royal crown, diadem. They might actually say, yeah, baseball cap. That might be more the view of people, Christians, today. Some may think of us as maybe just sad, but maybe deluded, um, maybe quite critical of us. Maybe they think we're judgmental, um, hypocritical, maybe fanatical. Um, there are two points worth making here in terms of how this applies to us today the first of all is how do we see ourselves do we see ourselves as some someone special in God's eyes do we know that we have been clothed with righteousness do we know just how special we are to God because if we don't know that then no one else is going to see that are they some of that glory can be visible now. We heard that last week, didn't we, from, from Wellesley? And part of that depends on how spiritually blind people are. They may just see none of that. How hardened they are to sin. But it also depends on how much are we reflecting the glory of God? How much are we arising and shining and being, being little moons? We do allow God's glory to shine. People can see glimpses that we actually are treasured by God. And Arise and Shine is not just addressed to God's people as individuals, it's addressed to them as a a people, as a community as well. And when we show we are a, a community of love, prepared to sacrifice our time and our money for those who are in need, when they see we're a community of hope in the face of death, when they see a community of patient, forgiving people in the face of conflict and persecution, then they will see that actually we are a, a royal crown. But there is another level of prophecy here, isn't it? And that is the future prophecy, the final time. When God's people will be called, as it says in verse 12, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, the sought after, the city no longer deserted. And the question for us then is, if that is the great future, when there will be no doubt that we are be treasured by God, what do we do now? Do we just sit back and wait for that day when everything will be made clear, when our vindication, our salvation will be made clear? Well, that's not actually what it says here. Have a look at verse 6. It says, I have posted watchmen... On your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Give Him no rest till He establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God is saying here on one hand, He will not rest until His purposes have been accomplished, He's also saying He will not let His people rest until his purposes have been accomplished. And what they should be doing during that time is calling on the Lord, praying out to the Lord, giving him no rest until his church, his people are complete and glorious. Until they can be seen in their complete splendor. In other words, praying ceaselessly until God fulfills his promises. And that will be when Jesus comes again. That will be that final level of prophecy. And I wonder whether one of the reasons why we all find prayer so difficult is because we've unconsciously assumed a sort of almost a fatalistic attitude towards God and prayer. God has promised that he will accomplish his promises, so what is the point of praying? He will do that anyway. Let's just wait for him to do that. That is far from the picture we have here, isn't it? God has posted watchmen. And the idea of watchmen is that they stay awake. They don't sleep. They are awake the whole time. If if you remember the First World War, have you seen any programmes there? If you fell asleep as a watchman, you put all the lives of your fellow soldiers at risk. The punishment could be death. Maybe we should introduce that for those who fall asleep during sermons. Maybe that's a uh, what do you reckon? But in this case, the role of watchmen is not to listen, to look out. It's never to be silent day or night. It's a different role here, isn't it? Why? Because they are busy calling on the Lord. They are busy praying. That's not saying we should never sleep. Of course, we need our sleep. It's a figure of speech, but it's stressing the constant nature of prayer. Prayer is not something we do for a little while. I'll pray for them for so long. If nothing happens, then I'll just give up. As if we can decide how long we should pray for somebody for. As if we decide when God's going to answer that prayer. Prayer goes on and on and on. The watchmen are those who wrestle with God in the same way that Jacob wrestled with God all night until he prevailed. And we don't know why God should use the prayers of his people to achieve his purposes, but that is what he does. That is what he chooses to do. Let's turn um, briefly to to Luke chapter 2, verse um, 36, which actually will appear on the screen if, if you're feeling, feeling lazy. Uh, let, me read, let me read this. This is um, Mary and Joseph taking uh, Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord as a, as a young infant. And this is who they meet. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Anna knew God's promise of a Messiah, and so she kept praying that the Lord would fulfill his promise. And he did that in her lifetime. Imagine how she felt. Imagine she's a watchman. Her age didn't stop her praying. She was a prayer warrior. We are all called to be watchmen. If we belong to God, we are called to pray. All of the instructions that Paul gave to the, the believers in Thessalonica that we looked at so last Sunday evening remember rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How can we pray boldly when we know what the will of God is and that is why the final verses are a great encouragement because they restate the Lord's promises clearly that his people will be brought to a position where they are free from persecution. That is a great promise for those who are suffering persecution today. Where they will enjoy the pleasure of being in God's company. And that is a promise that God has has sworn by his right hand, by his mighty arm, it says in verse 8. That is a promise that we can trust in and which we can claim and pray will happen. His promise of a saviour is a promise for people of all nations it says here to pass through the gates prepare the way for the people raise a banner for the nations he wants to welcome people in from the whole earth he wants them to be among his holy redeemed people and god wants each of you to walk through those gates to enjoy being in his presence But it won't happen until you have accepted him. That you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Saviour. Until you are able to say, I belong to Jesus. He is my God. That is what Steve Berry is going to be saying this evening as we baptise him. And do please come along and support him him in that. As I finish... At our elders retreat yesterday, we were considering what is the role exactly of an elder? What does it mean to to teach, to lead, to pastor, to, to shepherd? What should our priorities be? What should our goals be? How should we be spending our time? Well, isn't it to do whatever we can by God's grace? Working through us so that everybody here is able to say exactly these words I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. In my God. And you can only say that if you know how much He delights in you, if you know how much He loves you, what He's done for you, that you are His delight. What we all need more than anything is to know God, to know Him deeper. And deeper. And then ceaseless prayer will just become a natural thing. Uh, we won't need to encourage you to come along to another prayer meeting because you will just want to come. You'll want to be there because you want to spend time with God. You want to call on Him and call out to Him and claim those promises. We won't be able to keep you away from prayer meetings. We won't need to appeal for new leaders and helpers in ministries because people will be queuing up to serve the Lord. We won't need to train you in evangelism because people will naturally want to tell people about the fact that they are treasured by God. The church will grow naturally because the light of the glory of Christ will be shining through us and people will come. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Let's have some quiet just to reflect on that and hear what the Lord has to say to you and just pray that prayer quietly as well. Do you want to delight in him? Do you want to rejoice in him? Then ask him to make his glory known to you in a more deep way. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you that you have clothed us in garments of righteousness. That you've shown how much you delight in us, you love us, you you treasure us. And we thank you for that promise that one day that, that vindication, that salvation will be known throughout the world. Lord, and until that day, Lord, we pray that we would want to know your love for us more and more deeply, that we would delight in you, that our souls would rejoice in you. From within there would be that deep sense of love and contentment and peace. And Lord, we would be calling out to you day and night for your promises to be to be fulfilled, for that day to come. And Lord, we pray now that uh, we would be ready for that day. So, so do a work in us. We pray that um, people would um, see the the light of the glory of Christ shining through us, as individuals and as a church.